0: From the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I wanna thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Before our worship begins, I'd like to share with all of our members and friends a little bit about our financial situation. Regrettably, our projection for year-end reveals a deficit of $420,000 on our $5.7 million budget. While we've worked diligently to manage our resources and expenses, giving in 2022 and 2023 have fallen below expectations. I assure you that our trustees, session, and financial team have thoroughly explored all options to mitigate this situation. If we are unable to bridge this financial gap, difficult decisions will need to be made. This could include budget cuts, which might impact various aspects of our ministry, including a potential reduction in personnel for the year 2024. However, we believe that as a community bound by faith and shared values, we have the ability to overcome this challenge. And so I call upon each member and friend of First Prez to consider how you might be able to contribute to our financial strength. If you've already given in 2023 and have the capacity to go the second mile, please give more. If you've not given in 2023, please give today. You can mail a check, give by credit card, uh, give by stock transfer, or use the QR code that will be on the screen in just a few moments. Our congregation has had a successful capital campaign securing pledges of over $36 million. Our ministries with children and youth are bursting at the seams. Our worship attendance, both online and in person, are strong. Our community ministries continue to serve our most vulnerable neighbors and friends with compassion and great care. Our staff is strong, gifted, and committed to serving the mission of the church. My hope is that our giving will increase Uh, to support the strength of our ministry in this season of our life together. We will continue to communicate openly about our financial progress and any developments that we have as we move forward. Please keep our congregation, our leaders, and our shared mission in your prayers. If you have any questions or concerns, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. And thank you for tuning in to this week's broadcast.
1: Our first text uh, for this morning is our Old Testament lesson from the book of Isaiah. If you'd like to follow along you can find this text on page 652 in the Old Testament section of your Bible in your pew Bible in front of you. Listen now for a word from God. Oh that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire Kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. are the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people.
0: Our second text uh, this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Then the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus, will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Jesus said, Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open uh, this word afresh to us this day especially as we begin this sacred journey of Advent, may it be something more than just an on-ramp to Christmas. May it take on a life of its own in our life. And so would you open us to what it means to keep watch, to stay awake, and to recognize that your presence is with us even now, and that that very presence, by grace and by your Spirit... Is making us into new people. It's this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're starting a sermon series for this season of Advent called Repeat the Sounding Joy. What we're going to be doing is taking three Advent hymns and one Christmas hymn on the fourth Sunday of Advent, because that is Christmas Eve. And we're going to give those hymns some space uh, to speak to us alongside of the scriptures, to speak to us uh, in this Advent sojourn uh, as we uh, prepare to have our patience shaped, have our expectant obedience uh, shaped, our urgency in keeping watch shaped, our preparation for receiving Christ shaped in this sacred uh, time. Our Advent devotional um, has uh, synergy with this sermon series. In fact, when you pick up your Advent devotional or start receiving it online, you'll notice that each of the first hymns of the Sundays in Advent that we sing, uh, you'll have a little piece to start the week uh, written by our Director of Worship and Arts and Organist uh, Tom Berra. What we're trying to do is give some of these hymns uh, some space, some attention, Um, It may not be lost on you, but there's only 26 uh, Advent hymns in the Glory to God hymnal. Uh, Advent's four weeks long, Christmas is about 12 days long, and there's 50 Christmas hymns. So twice as many. There's just not a big repertoire. And so our pastoral team and our music team uh, began to think, what would it mean for us to give some space in our devotional life and our worship life to some of these hymns that can help uh, shape us. And so that's what we're doing. The very first hymn in the, in the series is Rejoice, Rejoice Believers. Now, right off the bat, I have to make a confession to you. When you opened it up, you went to, pay, you went to uh, hymn number 392. Um, that's not part of the Advent section, right? Uh, in fact, in our hymnal, in our songbook, uh, this first hymn, Rejoice, Rejoice Believers, is not part of the uh, Advent repertoire. However, in other Protestant communities, like the Methodists and the Lutherans, uh, this is very much an Advent hymn because of the themes that it elevates from Matthew 25, 1 to 13, and we're going to get to that text in just a moment, but, but before we do, let me say just a few things about this uh, particular hymn, its origin, uh, how I think uh, the context in which this hymn was written, how it has uh, some synergy with with our context today and some of the themes that are elevated out of this genre of hymn writing that uh, I think shape help shape our faith. So this hymn uh, finds its genesis in something called the Pietist tradition, which uh, emerged in the late 17th and early 18th century in continental Europe. Uh, Pietism, you may have heard of it before. For those who haven't, it, Uh, It's a way of understanding the faith, a way of being Christian that focuses on the ethics and the morals and the standards of the Christian life. Uh, It's a way of thinking about the Christian life in terms of not just what we believe, but how do we behave? How do we show up in the world as witnesses of this great good news that God is with us and for us in Jesus Christ? Pietism actually emerged in a very dark time in religious political history. It emerged in the shadow of the Thirty Years' War. For those historians, you know exactly what that was all about. For those who don't remember sophomore year history, uh, this religious political conflict in Central Europe spanned three decades, 1618 to 1648, and claimed the lives of 4.5 to 8 million people. And the conflict, sadly, was simply an extension of the struggle between the Protestants and Catholics, a struggle that began a hundred years prior when Martin Luther pinned his ninety five theses on the Wittenberg Cathedral door, uh, thus creating a revolution in Christianity and also in the world. And so the pietists who were part of Calvinist traditions, Lutheran traditions, and and other uh, Christian traditions during that time, the pietists were looking for something more than the witness that was offered by the church in those previous 30 years. Violence and death, antagonism, three decades of darkness in the Christian community. And the pietists believed that there was more that there should be more to our standard of Christian faith and practice, that we should care about how we treat our neighbors, that we should care about our inner life with God, and that that should shape how we see ourselves in the world as witnesses and bearing testimony. They wanted to move beyond the violence and, frankly, unchristlike behavior from those in the established churches of Rome, Calvin, and Luther. So during this time... There was a bunch of theologians and pastors who were preaching and, uh, and, and thinking in these ways. But there were also great hymn writers. Uh, because what we sing and what we say is what we believe. And so there needed to be hymns in this school and in this tradition. And, and this particular hymn was written by a German who went by a Latin name, Laurentius Lorente. He was born in 1660 and he's counted as one of the best hymn writers in the Pietist tradition. And I think it's important to note here just something about hymns in general because I know some of us have have sort of um, fine points about what kind of hymns we should sing and which kind of hymns we shouldn't sing in church, right? Can I get an amen, right? People, I know, you're Presbyterian. Like, we have, we have particular preferences on the types of hymns we ought to sing. And, and for some of us who, who have maybe um, a, a particular standard, we think that every song... Uh, that should be sung, and this is why we have a hard time with maybe some of the more contemporary Christian worship music. Every song should be sung to God, right? right? I see some people nodding their heads like, amen, that's right. Every song should be sung to God, because God is the subject of our worship, right? God's the subject of our worship. And we should be singing to God as an offering of prayer and worship. But There are hymns in our own hymnal, hymns that we sing that are actually not sung to God, okay? Like today's first hymn, Rejoice, Rejoice, Believers, is not a song sung to God. This is a hymn that is written in such a way that the church actually sings to itself. It sings to itself, and I know that makes some of us uncomfortable, but it's like crown him with many crowns. One of the great hymns of, the, uh, uh, of Christian hymnody. Crown him with many crowns. That's not singing to God to crown Jesus. Jesus is already crowned. We're saying you crown him Christian. You crown him as Lord of your life. So if something similar happening in this particular hymn, this is the church singing to itself. Why? Because there is an instruction that we need to know. There's an exhortation that we need to hear. And it's in the hymn. It says, rejoice, let your light shine. Watch with expectation. See that your lamps are burning. Look for your salvation. With hearts and hands uplifted, make your plea to see the day of earth's Redemption. There's a lot of symmetry, I believe, and synergy between that time, the pietists were emerging, and our time here, that there is a call to action that the church must embrace in light of what's happening in the world, what's happening in our cities, what's happening in our homes, that there is a word to be heard and an action to be embraced. And Advent is the perfect time To hear this word because the most acute call of this particular season is the call to keep watch it's the call to keep watch to do something to keep watch for the bridegroom who will come again but I would also like to suggest as an advent discipline for all of us that we keep watch for God's salvation now That we keep watch for God showing up now in our lives. I love the way the hymn puts it. Look now for your salvation. Based on Matthew 25, there's an urgency. There's immediacy. Look now for your salvation. Not tomorrow. Not when you get everything in order in your life. Not when you overcome this addiction. Not when your to-do list is all completed. But now. Now. Look for your salvation Now, for the bridegroom is arriving. It's really important in the Christian life to hold these two things in balance. Salvation, yes, is about the life that is to come, the life that we will share with God in the everlasting upon everlasting and share with all the saints that have gone before us, thanks be to God. But salvation is not just about eternal life, it's about new life here, now. Not tomorrow, but now. So we're called to keep watch for the now, for salvation showing up right smack dab in the middle of our lives, a salvation that will change us, that will remake us, that will remodel us, that will redeem us, reform us right now. I'm sure that many of you uh, are devotees uh, or at least know about all of those uh, home makeover shows on HDTV. Just out yourself here, raise your hand if you love those shows. Yeah, a lot of you love those shows, right? Shows like Fixer Upper, uh, Restored by the Fords, uh, Property Brothers, they're all programs, right, that focus on transforming and renovating homes, right? Often with the goal, of improving, improving rather, the aesthetics and the functionality and the overall design of these uh, homes. And they all follow the same pattern, right? They get these experts in uh, to renovate the home, redo the home, uh, and they have a time period they have to do it in, and a budget, and there's always some sort of drama with a faucet or something. And they gotta get it done in time, and it it always resolves, just like a 30-minute sitcom, right? It just always resolves. Well, a few years ago, Christianity Today had a story by a woman named Melanie Rayner on why these shows are so popular. At the core, she said, these shows are little tales of redemption, transformations through construction and style and design. We get to watch old buildings made new again. Instead of tearing down a disaster, designers and contractors take on the hard work of rewiring, reframing, and remaking the tired and the old into something beautiful. She goes on to talk about the popularity. She says, more than just enjoying the beauty created in front of the cameras, we love renovation stories because they echo the desire in all of us to be rediscovered and remade. I love that. Because they echo the desire in all of us to be rediscovered and remade. She says, we're all a work in progress, each of us a fixer-upper in our own right. We see ourselves in tired old homes and long for a life-saving gospel renovation in our hearts. There's a wonderful story from the Gospel of Luke. It's about a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Many of you know this story. Some of you may not know this story. Uh, Some of you remember the character Zacchaeus from your Sunday school days when you sang songs about this wee little man. Uh, People in Jesus' day had a really hard time, had a negative view of tax collectors for at least two reasons. First, they worked for the enemy, the occupying government, the Roman Empire who was occupying the land promised to the people of God. That's number one. Number two... Uh, they skimmed uh, what they wanted to skim, they, they extorted where they wanted to extort. If, if you owed the government five dollars, they would take seven and put two in their pocket. And so they weren't well liked. And on this one particular day, Jesus was walking through the town of Jericho And he noticed that Zacchaeus had climbed a sycamore tree because of his stature. He wanted to see Jesus as the crowds continued to build and build and build. And and Jesus called Zacchaeus to come down from the tree. Uh, And surprisingly, much to the chagrin of many in the crowd, he invited himself over to the tax collector's house to have a meal with him. Uh, This was uh, not a good idea according to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time. Jesus had this habit of dining with the wrong kind of people, but he was demonstrating that the kingdom of God was for everyone. And so he went to Zacchaeus' house to share that meal. Not only did Zacchaeus welcome Jesus into his home, but he also welcomed Jesus into his life to renovate his heart, to change him, And we know that to be true because of what Zacchaeus does. He confesses his sin, much like the the sin confession we heard in the text that Chris read from Isaiah 64. And he, he seeks to make amends by repaying everyone that he has defrauded. The house of his heart, friends, was being remodeled and remade. And Jesus ends this encounter with a line that will bring this sermon to an end. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Today, right now, not when you draw your last breath, Zacchaeus, but right now, not tomorrow, not a week from now, not a year from now, today, today. And so as we launch into this Advent season, I want all of us to have our heart and minds fixed on today. On today, salvation is coming today. It can happen today as you confess your sins to God and find them forgiven, and find yourself released from the grip of shame. It can happen today as the burdens you bear are taken off of you by the grace and mercy of God, where you may find yourselves released from the grip of fear. It can happen today when your stony hearts learn to bleed love, the love of God and the love of neighbor, and love for yourself. It can happen today when you're honest about the anger and bitterness that you carry that God can and wants to release you from. It can happen today even though your body or mind is failing It can happen today that you find yourself more spiritually ready than ever before to face what's in front of you. It can happen today even as you wait in the dark, even when you forget the oil, and we often forget the oil, even when we run out of the oil, and we often run out of the oil, even as we've spiritually fallen asleep. Christ can wake us up today. It can happen as you welcome Christ into your life for the very first time, or welcome him again in a new way so that he can redeem, reform, and remake us. So this Advent journey, let it be today. Let it be a moment for today. To keep watch today for what God wants to do in your life and in my life to make us new. So that we all can say rejoice Rejoice, believer. Rejoice. Amen.